Well, thanks for joining us as today we start a brand new series called Excuses. Now, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm sure all of us who have ever had kids or maybe you're currently raising kids are well acquainted with what excuses are. You know, some of my favorite excuses at my house is when our oldest daughter's getting ready in the morning. And, and by the way, she's not a morning person. She gets that from me. But we are running out the door. We got five minutes until we need to leave. We got to brush our teeth, get our shoes on, and all of these things. And so we give her clear instructions. Hey, Madeline, please go get your shoes on. And then five minutes later, we walk in and she doesn't have shoes on. And so then we say, hey, what's going on? Why don't you have your shoes on? And something out of her mouth comes out like this. Uh, well, I can't find my stuffy. And I stop and I'm like, okay, but how does your stuffy, your favorite stuffed animal, the thing that you want right now, that has no relation to putting your shoes on. Or maybe even worse for her specifically is, what about when it's time to go to bed? And then it's, okay, well, it's time to go to bed, so let's get ready and let's go to bed. And well, well I can't because I'm thirsty. Or, well, I can't right now because I have to go to the bathroom. Or, you know, I, I'm hungry. And in those moments, it's very frustrating on the one hand because, hey, well, what about the last 30 minutes when we weren't going to the bathroom or we weren't thirsty then or we weren't hungry then? But, you know, kids aren't the only ones who make excuses. What about parents? What about when you come home from work and, and granted, it's been a long day or a trying week and then your child says, hey, mommy, daddy, can we play? And then we say something like, well, not right now because I'm tired. Or, well, I don't have time to do that right now. You see, the reality is all of us are well acquainted with excuses because all of us make excuses. But we're not alone. In fact, even in the Bible, we see people who make excuses. All throughout the scriptures, we see a pattern. God calls the most unlikely men and women to do things that he wants them to do to serve him, and then they turn around and make excuses for why they can't. He shows them that he doesn't call them based on their equipping, rather he equips them based on what he has called them to do. And this pattern hasn't changed. God still calls people like that, people like you, people like me, and yet we still make excuses. But just like in Scripture, what we read and what we see is that our excuses don't hold up and they won't hold up because if God calls us to do it, He will equip us to do it. You see, according to Oxford's Dictionary, excuses are defined as a reason or explanation put forward to defend or justify a fault or an offense. And so these excuses are reasons. They are rational decisions they are rational type descriptions for why we can't do something the rational nature of these excuses make them plausible but at the end of the day excuses are merely explanations for why something happened other than what should have happened and you see we make excuses and we appeal to emotion we appeal to physical limitations and we appeal to circumstances but at the end of the day do these excuses these reasons that we give although plausible do they really hold up you see as we start this series and we look at three specific instances of people making excuses in scripture one thing that we realize is this our excuses are often dependent on our abilities or in some cases our inability to do something but faith is dependent on God's ability. And so today we're going to look at the story of Sarah. Sarah is Abraham's wife, and this is found in the book of Genesis. And what we'll see through this story of Sarah is that when our excuses tell God you can't, 
God's faithfulness shows us that he can. And so as we pick up with the story of Sarah, there's a few things that we need to know. Sarah is married to a man named Abram. And in Abram's life, in Genesis chapter 12, we read that God calls Abram from where he is currently, and it says that he calls him to a new land. And what's unique is that Abram was 75 years old when God spoke to him and called him to go to a new land. And in the midst of calling him to a new land, God makes three promises to Abram. And we call this the Abrahamic covenant. It's God's promise to Abram. It involves these three things. He says to Abram, number one, I'm going to give you the land in which you are currently dwelling and passing through. And that's where we get the phrase, the promised land later in scripture. That comes from this promise that God made to Abram. He also says to Abram, hey, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you into a great nation. The problem was at 75 years old, when God makes this promise, Abram had zero kids. And yet God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And the last promise that God makes to Abram is that I will bless you. In fact, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And you, Abram, and your descendants will be a blessing to the entire world. So God makes a promise to Abram and it's really these three things. I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I am going to bless you. And today, as we look at the life of Sarah, Abram's wife, Really, we're going to look at the promise that God made to Abram about his descendants. And so he makes three promises to Abram specifically about his descendants. The first one is this. He says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. In fact, Abram's name is just that, Abram. But most of us know him as Abraham because God changed his name. And Abraham means father of a multitude. Again, reaffirming his promise to him. The second promise that God makes to Abraham about his descendants is this. He says, you will have a son and your son will be of your own flesh and blood. It's not going to be some inherited person. It's not going to be someone who is involved in your life, but not a direct descendant. He says, no, you will have a direct descendant. And the third promise he makes is this, your son will come from your wife, Sarah. And so what's unique about this at 75 years old, when God makes all these promises to Abram about the land and his descendants and his blessing is that this was all unique to Abram. This was all brand new for him. He didn't grow up in church. I know that sounds kind of funny to us, but he never read the Bible because he is learning to trust God in the moment. And all that he and his family could do, Sarah included, was to take God at his word. So today we pick up in Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is visited by three visitors. And so they're sitting there and he begins to prepare food for them. He goes to Sarah, hey, we need some food. And they begin to sit down under the the trees there and they begin to talk. And so what happens is these three come to Abraham. They're sitting and they're talking and then their tents are close by. And Sarah, who has prepared the food, is sitting in the tent within earshot of these guys. And so in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, we pick up and we read this. The, The men ask Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. So the Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him within earshot, and it says that Abraham and Sarah, verse 11, were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So in verse 12, we read, within earshot, hearing this man say to Abraham, your wife Sarah in about a year's time will have a son. It says in verse 12, so she, Sarah, laughed to herself. 
And as she laughs to herself, this is her thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Now let's stop there for a second because I think we see here the first excuse. Now maybe not a verbal excuse, but what we see is her reaction. Her reaction is one of laughter. And her laughter indicates that she doesn't really think that this is capable. She doesn't really think that this can happen. And well, why? Because excuse number one that Sarah makes is this. I'm too old to have a baby. Well, why does she say that? Well, for one, Abraham and Sarah, as it says, were getting on in years. Specifically, Abraham was 99 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And so, because of everything that we know about the human body, it says that Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So I don't know about you, but at first glance, this doesn't seem like an excuse. This seems like the truth, right? Sarah says, I'm 90 years old. Abraham is 99 years old. This must be crazy. This guy is saying, hey, I'm going to have a son in a year's time. I'm 90 years old. I'm way past the age of childbearing. And so at first glance, this seems like a very valid, plausible reason for why she laughed. And yet what appears at first glance doesn't really hold up. And here's why. Because God has already promised Abraham that he would have a son. Remember, God has already promised Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. Not only is he going to be made into a great nation, he's going to have a son from his own flesh, and Sarah is going to be the one that brings him a son. You see, in chapter 17, God says this, I will give you a son by her, that is Sarah. He says, you will name him Isaac. Ironically, Isaac means he laughs. And then in verse 21 of chapter 17, God says to Abraham, I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. So at first glance, I think all of us would say, yeah, I think Sarah's right. She's beyond childbearing. She's getting on in years. Like that's a valid, plausible reason for why she should laugh. And yet, God has already promised to Abraham that Sarah would be the one that would have his son through which he would become a great nation. And so I think it's important for us to know this, that faith in what God has already said is different than faith that God will do something that he never promised. You see, in Sarah's case and in Abraham's case, God had already promised that this is how he was going to fulfill what he had promised, that you're going to have a son, it's going to be your son, and Sarah's going to be the one to bear that son. And so while we would think, yeah, 90 years old, that's probably too old to have a baby, that sounds like a good reason. What Scripture would say is, no, this is more like an excuse because of what God has already promised. You see, our excuses are often our own doubts that God can do and will do what He has said to do. Now, they look valid, they look plausible because, well, the circumstances look like, why would I be able to have a kid? But the reason that it doesn't hold up is because God is the one who said that you would have a kid. The author of creation has said that you would have a kid. You see, so that's the first excuse. Well, I'm too old to have a baby. But I think it even goes deeper than that. Because Sarah makes another excuse, and that says this. She says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? You see, what's interesting is if you go back to chapter 16 of Genesis, after God has told Abraham that he will have a son, something interesting happens. 
Sarah, hearing this news, receiving this news, hearing that Abraham will have a son, she says this in chapter 16. Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And this is what Sarah says. Sarah says to Abraham, Since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. Now, this may sound weird to us, but it wasn't all that uncommon in that day where, where the family could be extended through other means than maybe we, what we think of today. But what's interesting is Sarah says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. You see, Sarah has already begun uh, to increase in age. She's not a spring chicken by any means at this point. Abraham, when God called him, was 75. This is even after that. So Sarah is, is over 70 years old when she says this, and she has already concluded, God doesn't want me to have kids. That's a loose translation. That's my translation, but that's what she says. Since the Lord has prevented me from having children. And so what she does is she says, here's my slave, Hagar. Abraham, you go sleep with Hagar, and then maybe God will give me a family through her since he doesn't want me to have kids. And so I think within this, now it doesn't explicitly say this, but I think we can use reason here to know that a mother's wish is to have a child, to nurture a child, to care for a child. And so maybe when these three men come and talk to Abraham and she hears one of them say, hey, by the way, this time next year, Sarah's going to have a son. Maybe she laughs because she was bitter. Maybe she laughs because she had already accepted that God doesn't want me to have kids. And so when she hears this, years later, at 90 years old, and she says this, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Maybe she could not believe that to be true because her bitterness overshadowed what God had promised. I think we see this confirmed in chapter 16, verse 4. So Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham and says, maybe she can bear us a son and we can have a family through her. But something interesting happens in verse 4. Hagar and Abraham, they sleep together. Hagar gets pregnant. And this is what it says. When she, Sarah, saw that Hagar was pregnant, her mistress, Sarah, became contemptible to her. The way that that reads uh, literally is that she began to despise Hagar. And so I think here's what we see, what seemed like a good plan to Sarah. Hey, I'm going to give you Hagar. Maybe she can have a son. But yet when Hagar gets pregnant and begins to bear a son, her response is not joyful. Her response is not, well, the plan worked. Her response is she began to despise her slave. Why? Because she could get pregnant and Sarah could not. And so when the three men come and she laughs, when the man says that this time next year Sarah will have a son, Maybe she laughed, maybe she made an excuse because of her bitterness. And I think sometimes we can make excuses with what God is leading us to do because of our emotional baggage, because of our past history. I think sometimes we make excuses like this towards God. Well, God, I, I would do that now, but you didn't then. Maybe it's you didn't heal that person that I wanted you to heal. Maybe you didn't heal that loved one that I prayed for and they ended up passing away. Maybe you didn't heal that diagnosis that someone got. And so God, you did it in the past. And so now emotionally I'm affected and maybe I make excuses now for God, what God wants me to do now. Or maybe we make excuses like this. Well, God, I would do that now, but I don't believe that you will. 
God, you won't do what you said you would do, so why would I do what you want me to do? Right, so we make excuses, but a lot of times we make excuses because of emotional baggage, because of past hurt, because of things that have already happened. And so when God leads us to do something now, it's easy, us, easy for us to say, well, God, I would, but you won't because you didn't. Or sometimes maybe we say this, well, God, why would I do what you want me to do now? Because really and truly you don't care. And sometimes we say, or maybe not out loud, or maybe not even uh, admitting to that, but sometimes we have thoughts like this. Does God really care? God, if you cared, you would have done that. And it's past tense. And so our obedience now is affected by making excuses based on what happened in the past. And I think this is something that we probably see with Sarah. When these three men come, by the way, one of the three men is identified as the Lord. And so when the Lord says to Abraham, hey, this time next year, Sarah will have a son, her response is laughter. Why is it laughter? Because she begins to make excuses for why what God said can't happen. Well, I'm too old. And by the way, not only is my age a problem with this, for 90 years, God, you have prevented me from having kids. Why should I believe that now at 90 years old, I should have delight? And so I think what happens here is Sarah makes excuses, but her excuses, although plausible, by the way, right? A 90-year-old having a woman, that, uh, having a baby, that sounds very plausible for something not to believe. But the difference is God had already promised. And our excuses, although valid and plausible, they don't hold up in the face of what God has said because God is faithful to keep his promises. And I think the response is evidence that what was really going on, although valid, right? I'm too old to have kids, I'm 90 years old, all those things are valid, but what's really going on is Sarah's doubt. Doubt that God could do what he said he would do. Look at the response. She says, after I'm worn out and old, will I have delight? In verse 13, Genesis chapter 18, but the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Right, that seems very plausible, but notice what he says next. Is anything impossible for the Lord? And I think here we get to the heart of the issue. Her excuses are valid, at least on the surface. They seem plausible, but the truth in disguise, right? The excuses disguise the truth. The truth is, as the Lord asks, is anything impossible? It begins to uncover what was really going on, and that is this. Sarah doubted that God could and would do what he had said. And maybe he doubted what he could do. Sarah doubts, God, can you, because I'm 90 years old, I'm past childbearing age, right? That's a could do question. But I think even more than that, it's that God would do. Because she says, man, for 70 plus years, I'm 90 years old, God, you've prevented. Would you now allow me to have delight? And yet what the Lord says is anything impossible for me. And I think that's a question that we should stop and ask anytime we are tempted to make an excuse. Now, I'm talking about an excuse that we feel like God is leading us clearly to make, right? Like a decision that we're supposed to make. Maybe it's to take a job that pays less money. And our excuses are, well, oh God, I don't know if I can pay my bills, right? 
And then the follow-up question is, is anything impossible for the Lord? Do you think that God can take care of your circumstances? He clothes the lilies of the field, right? If God can do that for something as seemingly worthless as a flower, how much more does he care about you? So maybe you can take a pay cut and God can still provide for you. Whatever the case may be, when God leads us in a certain clear direction, we're tempted to make excuses. But those excuses, I think, are often because of our doubts. Because we doubt, if we're honest, that God could or even that he would do what he has said that he would do. What I think is encouraging, though, is that Sarah laughs, right? She laughs, man, at 90 years old, am I going to have delight? And then Lord says, well, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is there anything that's too hard for me to do? And so what we see is that Sarah's laughter was a laughter of disbelief. It was a laughter of doubt. It was a laughter that, man, God, can I really do this this old? And you've prevented me for so long. Now at 90, can I have delight? But I think here's something that's encouraging. Our excuses are not the final word. Now, now let's be honest. We all make excuses. We all make excuses, and they seem very plausible, very valid. God, how can I pay my bills if I take this pay cut, right? Those are valid questions to ask, but in the face of that decision, we can either learn to trust God, that he is capable of providing and equipping to do us what he is leading us into, or we can allow our excuses to take over and to prevent us from being obedient because of what we think we know. But the good news is our excuses are not the final word. You see, Sarah laughs here in disbelief, but this isn't the last time that we read about Sarah laughing. If we fast forward to Genesis chapter 21, this is what it says. It says, The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son, who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And in verse six, Sarah said, God has made me laugh and everyone who hears will laugh with me. In verse seven, she also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son to him in his old age. So here's what we see in chapter 21. It says that the Lord came to Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah bore a son at the appointed time that God had told him. Abraham named his son Isaac, just as he said he would. And then when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him. And circumcision was the seal, the sign of the promise, the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And so what we see here is that Sarah's laughter of disbelief was turned to laughter of joy as all that God had promised came to fruition. You see, although the excuses seem valid and plausible, God came through on what he had promised. And I think that's something that we should consider. Again, when we're tempted to make excuses, I think we ask the question, is anything impossible for the Lord? Because here's the thing, God's promises are bigger than our excuses. No matter how plausible, no matter how valid, no matter how seemingly realistic our reasons and our explanations are for doing something other than what God has led us to do, for doing something other than what God has promised to do, we can trust God. We can trust his heart. We can trust him because he is faithful.
We see that in Sarah's life, that everything that he said came true. Just as he said, it came true. And so just like Sarah and Abraham, we can learn to trust God because his promises are bigger than our excuses. I hope this has been encouraging for us, and I hope that when we're tempted to make those excuses that we will learn to trust God to do what he said he would because he can and he will because he is faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for all those who may be watching this. God, I thank you for those who are watching and maybe even wrestling with a decision that they know that you are leading them to do. A decision that's maybe scary, a decision that's maybe a hard pill to swallow. And Lord, I pray that we would find encouragement to trust you because you are trustworthy. Because we see accounts like Sarah and Abraham where even though it seems impossible, you promised it and you are faithful to keep your promises. God, help us to learn to trust you because you are faithful, that we would walk in that faithfulness because you will keep your promises. Your promises are bigger than our excuses. God, we trust you in that, and we pray that this will be encouraging for us, that we can walk in obedience to you as we trust you because of who you are. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.